This podcast is brought to you by Aldis International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our AI in Action series, where leading minds in AI from across the world share their story, success, and advice. AI in Action cuts through the hype and explores the true impact of artificial intelligence in our world today. You're listening to AI in Action. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is Michael Ferrari. Michael is the Chief Science Officer and Chief Data Scientist at Engine Number One. Michael, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm happy and honored to be uh, asked to come back a second time. Yeah, yeah, you're the first of a return guest and, and a great way to start. For anyone who hasn't heard the previous episode, Michael, tell us a bit about yourself. I'm the Chief Science Officer and Chief Data Scientist in Engine Number One. We are a relatively new in the asset management space where we are using data and data-driven techniques to really our entire investment process. For those of you that are familiar with what's happening in fintech and financial services, you probably hear a lot of what's labeled as ESG. And what we're trying to do is really steer the ESG conversation around material impacts and financial impacts as opposed to the more commonly uh, held approach, which is really just about ranking systems and ranking names and then trying to make decisions based off those rankings. So we're taking a different approach and I think we're off to a really good start. Thank you for that, Michael. Definitely want to spend a bit of time talking more about engine number one and, and the unique nature of the work that you guys do. For context, just to, to to tell people a little bit more about yourself and for anyone who's not heard that the first episode that we did a few years ago, give us a bit of background of, of your journey in tech, specifically in the world of data science and, and what's led you to where you're at today. Sure. My journey was probably more serendipity than anything else. I started off with my formal training in climate physics and biophysics all around fluid dynamics and numerical modeling, quantitative techniques. And at the time, it's evolved into data science. It wasn't called data science when I was in school. A lot of the same approaches in terms of alternative data and modeling and just understanding and driving theses with data. That was really the origin. And I've worked several either startups or groups within or you know, either supporting or directly in asset management, focusing on climate and commodity risk. And a lot of my time has been spent in both the agriculture and the energy industries in particular. And I was able to join Engine Number 1 at a time where they were still in, in the early days, joining here and bringing the experiences that I've had into building this team here. And again, I think we're off to a really good start. And I think a lot of what I found, at least for my own journey, is if you, and you probably hear this from a lot of your your guests, if you start up with a plan, it's not going to work out that way. So uh, my original plan was to go into academia. And as soon as I started working in, in the commercial sector and I could start to build things and use them right away, uh, I realized that was for me. That was the path that I took. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're a walking example of a path that can lead multiple areas, but eventually you land in somewhere that you quite enjoy. So, Michael, back to engine number one. Look, I definitely want to spend a bit of time talking about the unique nature of what you do. I know much of your work is connected to NDA, so there's a little bit of mystery behind it. Speaking to an audience of your peers, data scientists, machine learning folks, and and anyone in the space, what can you tell us about engine number one? Because you guys are, although relatively new, getting a lot of attention and making some serious waves in this space. Sure. I mean, at a high level, one thing that I think we really are focusing on is engaging with companies, and we have a longer-term investment horizon. So 
Uh, we're not as short-term focused as many other of our competitors, so we're really looking at longer-term value creation. And I, I think the thesis of, or the foundation of the thesis that we're developing is that you know, climate risk is real business risk. And I think for a while there was always this discussion. It was framed as a debate. It's not really a debate, but you know, what is the contribution of, of man activities to climate? And I think that there's a lot of nuance in there, but I think we're past that now. And I think it's really becoming a lot more relevant, a lot more apparent to the commercial sector that climate risk is in fact business risk. So if we can help you know, engage and shape that discussion and again, inform that with real data and real science, then that's a niche that we're trying to exploit. So your role then sort of bridges both sides of that. It's this, uh, as the chief science officer and chief data scientist, you're tasked with intertwining the your background in, in, in scientific knowledge with also the use of, of data science. Can you give us some insight into how you go about doing that and what are some of the main challenges when you're trying to use data science to tackle these problems? I'll always impart my background. The fact that I, I spent most of my career in the climate and related sciences, I'll, I'll usually try to look at problems through that lens. And a lot of, I think what that lends uh, itself to is just looking at different data or looking at data in different ways. So there's a lot of people that are doing you know, kind of general weather risk and weather risk modeling. And, and this is a little different because again, as we move the discussion from weather to climate, we are thinking about both longer term impacts as well as relationships. Hopefully we'll have a little chance a little later to talk about the whole notion of complex systems and complexity science and how that is, uh, there are probably tenets from complexity science that are very appropriate to, you know, what's evolving as a new space in data science. And we're, so we're not just looking at, you know, that point cause and effect relationship. We're always looking at how the entire system can behave and evolve. And we're and again, bringing that framework into how we source data, the kind of data, uh, sources or vendors that we may want to engage with, as well as what tools and techniques we may want to use when we're trying to exploit the data. Yeah, perfect segue. Let's talk about it. Give us some insight in, into that journey. The, it would be good to hear about the tools and techniques, but also the, the overall approach. Sure. And again, I, I can't go too deep into specifics, but at a high level, and I think this is apparent, whether you're in asset management or outside of asset management, the amount of data that we have at our fingertips today is just in, ter just in terms of the sheer volume is mind boggling. And more data does not always yield better data. So I think everyone knows always focused on the quote unquote big data problem. And I think where we really want to try to you know, mine the data for insights is taking an approach that it's smart data is going to trump big data, right? So it's less about volume and kind of brute forcing your way into a solution. It's more about being creative in terms of the, the different types of data sets that we're bringing together and you know, how can we analyze them through different lenses so we understand relationships that may not be apparent just by taking that traditional brute force approach. And the other thing that this is, is leading to, which I, I think we're seeing now, most people think that every data problem is a machine learning problem, right? So everybody's kind of default. Okay, we have data now, now we're gonna apply ML techniques to that problem. And most problems probably are not machine learning problems. I think that there's machine learning and machine learning techniques and tools have appropriate use cases and when they can be used with the right data they can be used very effectively but this idea of just applying every data problem uh, with a layer of machine learning and all of a sudden we're going to have an answer or a solution um, i think that's been disproven yet that's still the mindset that a lot of people take we're really trying to get a move away from that a little bit and use ml where it's appropriate but move a little bit more towards alternative approaches you know, that kind of, again, are grounded more in the complexity sciences and network sciences, as opposed to just, just the traditional ML approach, which 
many groups are taking. And I think we're we're starting to see a realization of that. So, you know, there has been this this awakening, I think, in the last year or two, but it's still a, a lot easier for and again, most groups they tend to be budget constrained. If you have data, you don't necessarily have the either the bandwidth or the resources to just explore without any deadlines. ML tends to be that first pass, but I'm a little skeptical of just taking uh, you know the ML first approach. You are listening to the Aldis Podcast. When you're looking to scale your team, or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions, www.aldis.com. One of the other things you mentioned there, which I want to spend a bit of time on, is uh, the the combination uh, of, of skill sets and what you guys are doing is, is somewhat unique. You still have to go out to the community and, and get people interested. I know you've got a great track record of building very successful data teams anywhere that you've been and you've worked for some of the, the most well-known organizations in the world. So definitely want to get your take on when you're speaking to prospective candidates about engine number one, what are you tell, telling them? What are you able to tell them without stepping over the NDA line to get them excited about this? Without hesitation, I can tell them how important culture is, right? Getting the culture right is just, it's so important. And uh, I think anybody that's been involved in building teams, again, whether it's in this space or outside of the space over the years, but I, I can just speak to my own experience. I used to focus on more about trying to hire or, or bring in the best technical talent I could find. And I don't necessarily think that's up. There's no right or wrong. It's not the wrong approach, but I think as I've done this a few times now, what I'm seeing, what what tends to be a better approach is everybody has table stakes or is technical proficiency, right? So obviously if, if data scientists will come in with a certain level of technical capabilities that they contribute, then that's usually you know, where we would draw the line. But if everybody has that and assume we get past that first hurdle, the culture piece is just paramount. And I think that, and I can just, I'll talk about my team at engine number one. I am just amazed at the depth and the breadth of the team that we've put together here. Um, I just, I mean, it's a fantastic team. It's probably the best team that I've ever worked with in this space. And one of the things that we are doing a little differently is we're building our data team, both with a science and engineering foundation. A lot of organizations have your data science and your data engineering, and then maybe there's a bridge that tethers both of them, but we're doing this all under one, you know, basically one umbrella. And the scientists and engineers are with each other all the time, even though we're distributed, we're still in contact with each other all the time. And you know, getting that culture piece, I just can't stress how important that is. So I think if that's the first thing that I talk to any prospective candidate about, or what I want to try to see is beyond those, again, those, those technical table stakes is culturally, will they be the right fit? And when we think about the kind of questions that we're asking of the data now, it's not just academic backgrounds we're looking for. We're looking for really people that are if you think about what a data scientist is today, it almost doesn't really, the term itself doesn't have a whole lot of meaning because it's just become so broad in the last few years. Mm-hmm. So we want to approach problems from, from the sciences and engineering and the social sciences and, you know, and more traditional, you know, computer science and electrical engineering. So it's, it, there's really no limit and there's no boundary in terms of what background you need to come in. It's more about how creative you can be and how you look at data and the kind of questions you can ask of the data. And, um, like I said, the team that we have here is just a, a wonderful team, and it's probably something that I really like showcasing when I talk to people because it really does get to people. If you have the right mindset and you want to actually work in an area that can really be transformative as well as collaborative, um, you know, th- those are the kind of people that we're trying to attract. 
Absolutely. And I think, look, many startups initially uh, struggle to get the brand out there and, and compete with organizations when it comes to hiring the best talent. I think what's unique about engine number one is the caliber of people who've joined their Leon have a following and it's continued to grow and scale. And I think you and I were speaking earlier in the week about you guys are only just getting started and it's very exciting about what's in store. So on that point, can you give us some insight into what 2022 is going to look like for the business? And with that, what opportunities are there going to be across the team? You talked about the combination of the sciences and and the tech. Give us some insight into the types of positions that you're going to need to fill next year. Uh, Again, I think one of the big opportunities is when you think of going back to the ESG discussion, there is a lot of the requisite components of the environmental, social and governance. And there's a lot of environmental data. I think we already have a path there. I think one of the the big white space areas is really how do we quantify the social piece and, and the kind of data that we can bring to answer these social questions and not just answer the questions, but tie those questions to outcomes. And so I think but so even though it's this broad fuzzy area without a lot of boundaries, instead of looking at that as something that we wouldn't want to go into, we actually see a huge opportunity there to bring something meaningful to that discussion. So that's, I, I think that is, we have many spaces where we're going to be playing, but that's one space that I think is going to increase in importance in 2022. Final question from me then, Michael, and I've asked you this bit before on a previous episode, and then I ask you, I've asked you again personally, but for the audience listening, you sit at a very high level when it comes to looking ahead and trends that are going to impact the space in years to come. What are you most excited about now as you look forward into 2022, not just for engine number one, but but for the the technology that you're using and the impact it can have? I would say one of the biggest things is probably, and I probably say this every year, but I think it's becoming more apparent every year, is just the barriers to entry that are being eroded to doing something meaningful. So I I think in in years past, a lot of big transformational, whether it's data sets or technologies or tools, they would tend to come from academia or larger research institutions. And now it's just with the advent and I think the proliferation of kind of open sourcing everything. If you have a good idea and you have the means to get that idea noticed, um, it's, it's a lot more scalable. So I don't think there's any places that are, are necessarily untouchable in terms of where the next good idea can come from. And, and I think that's what's what makes this field, AI in general, such a rich field, right? So it's more about just the technology, but it's about the bringing, you know, lowering barriers to entry and making it a more equal playing field for literally anybody to participate. And I think that's a, it's a wonderful thing. And I think if we look at where we are with respect to those barriers to entry now versus two years ago, there have been significant changes uh, for the better. And I think as we go forward, we're just going to see more of that. So to me, that's just extremely exciting as we think about what's ahead for the next several years. Michael, thank you again very much for coming back onto the show uh, and talking to us. It's great to hear about your new venture with Engine Number One. You've built an elite team already there, and, and you guys are doing something really innovative, and it's great to hear about it. So we wish you and, and everyone at Engine Number One the best of luck in the years ahead. We know you guys are going to do some amazing things. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aldis Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com, to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.